everyone, and welcome back to Quaid in Full, the podcast with all the fox to give about actor Dennis Quaid, and the only one that knows your hunger is not sated till it's quaded. I am Jeb Lund, co-host and Quaid DeCamp of your other co-host, the president of the New School for Dennis Research, Sarah D. Bunting. How you doing, Sarah? Does this fur bra have an underwire? Fascinating! You know, I was hoping for some authenticity in terms of the dress in this, but as long as I'm not getting, like, the full Star Trek, you're a prehistoric society, but you're all wearing mid-thigh, late-60s boots, I'm kind of fine. <laughs> yeah. I mean, do we need to see Ringo Starr's sunburned nipples? I don't think we do. You know, I didn't expect them to put on muscle for the role. But I actually, I, like, I was going to give him grief for, for, like, not looking grungier, but he seems to be the only one that really committed to this movie. Yeah, I mean, in his defense, it's, it's hard to commit to, um, no matter how much cocaine was happening. Before we get into 1981's Caveman, uh, thank you. speaking of things that we have no need for, have you uh, listened to the Denisons podcast yet? You know, I had a day set aside to do that this week. I was committed. And then I had to go see an orthopedist. It was kind of a last second thing. Uh, they could fit me in. And so it's going to be postponed until the next one of these we do. But I'm looking, I'm feeling very optimistic about our chances for next week. Okay. Well, thanks for keeping us posted. Um, I also did not get around to listening uh, to the Denisons. You know, you hate to see it. Should we do the summary of this film? Uh, yes, by all means. It's important that we do it because you can imagine how complex, you know, the ins and the outs of the plot of 1981's Caveman could be. In any event, Atuk, Ringo Starr, a scrawny and forlorn caveman has big ideas. He doesn't know it yet, but he's in the process of inventing the wheel. And why is he doing that? For the same reason men do anything. To score. Atuk is deeply in love with Lana, Barbara Bach, for the repeated stated reasons that she has big yabos. Unfortunately, she's the mate of the powerful and vicious Tonda, played by two-time Super Bowl champion and Hall of Infamy raider John Matuzak. After a wacky attempted rape, Atuk is cast out of the caves where Tonda, Lana, and the tribe live, reuniting with his friend Lal, sorry, Lar, Dennis Quaid, and running into each other's arms so rapidly that it knocks both of them into walking upright. Together they meet Tala, Shelley Long, rescue her father from a dinosaur, rescue some other outcasts, discover fire, slingshots, and a lot of other technology at once, and ultimately vanquish Tonda. Despite her movie-long indifference, Lana can see which way the winds are blowing and offers her breasts and the rest of herself to Atuk, who proceeds to reject the woman who rejected him for the act of rejecting him, pushes her into a giant pile of turds, and pairs up with Tala, who doesn't push him into a giant pile of turds for rejecting her all-movie, because, I don't know, she just really, really likes Atuk. End of movie. Yep. I mean, I just, I'm not sure that I have anything to add to any summary or review previously written because it's like, I just, I don't understand what this movie is trying to do. And there seems to have been some disagreement on the part of contemporary reviewers about how, about whether it succeeded what it was trying to do um we will link both of the reviews i'm about to talk about roger ebert gave it one and a half stars out of four which seems like about 15 stars too many 
evidently reviewers were given like a dialogue cheat sheet with the you know caveman to english glossary mm-hmm. and then he the conceit of his review is that he's using the cavemanies from the movie as part of his review it's almost as tiresome as the movie itself <laughs> and you know Dennis Quaid speaking caveman with somehow a texas accent we'll get back to it Janet Maslin, meanwhile, seemed to think that it was um, seemed to think that it was a hoot. So let me read a little bit from her review, uh, and we'll also link that. Like I said, quote: "With all due respect to Ringo Starr, <laughs> sick. The real hero of Caveman is not a former Beatle, not the film's top billed actor, and not even a person at all." The real star is a special effects dinosaur, one of several such creatures this cheery, playful movie has to offer. This particular dinosaur rolls his eyes, waggles his tongue, pats his tummy, and has a very sweet smile. Just parenthetically, he does all of these things in a death scene. His own death? And parenthetical. I kind of felt like he was just so drugged that he wasn't really in pain and he was passing out. That was my read on that was like, it wasn't that big of a fall. And so like, he's just sort of, but yeah, I mean, like he's, he's patting his tummy because he ate the purple berries. Okay. I thought he was uh, sort of clutching his midsection because he had fallen on a rock spire and been run through with it. I didn't see, I I didn't see a a literal running through. I mean, I'm not going to go back and confirm. So I'm sure you're right. And he was just stoned. Anyway, the review continues. He doesn't wear himself out being clever, and neither does anyone else concerned with Caveman. But the movie is nicely whimsical and elaborate in a way that no fantasy film this side of outer space has lately been. It's dopey, but it's also lots of fun. End quote. If, as Maslin appears to have been, you are so tired of Star Wars and Star Wars knockoffs and having to think about space opera serials um that this strikes you as a welcome attempt to innovate in the like time travel film space then i guess you would you would get things like uh nicely whimsical and cheery and playful i just got like i don't know stillborn with a lot of very terrible Computer, where's Monster Island special effects that, yeah, I mean, I was just exhausted. I was exhausted at the end of it, truly. My big thought is like, I, I don't know why this got made. I can imagine it was written as sort of like a, let's see if I could write a comedy about, you know, people who don't have any narrative yet and don't have any devices and i think like as an exercise that's sort of interesting but like i don't know why ringo is attached i mean when i was in college my friends and i had this this sort of recurring joke for when you would see somebody in a movie and you'd be like why is that guy there and it was uh this recurring bit that like sean connery in addition to like you know all his you know manifold failings had a hidden gambling problem which is why he would just he would show up in like a good movie and then he'd show up in like some just bizarre trash like immediately and and so i'm watching this and like in my head the the joke from college is just repeating it like i'm watching ringo kind of doing like 
an homage to his sad hungover walk in Hard Day's Night, uh-huh. where he's sort of like little trampy, like sort of like that. And then there's this like kind of Benny Hill like assault scene. <laughs> and and in my head I'm going, watch this. A script for a caveman rape movie. <laughs> like, and I like I don't know what what was going on in his life that he was like, this is the one I gotta do. I'm Ringo Starr, right? I could, I could pretty much punch my pop culture ticket to doing anything. But this is the thing I gotta do. I used to know this woman who was um, a uh, Hollywood, like a film PR honcho in the, like starting in the mid 60s through the mid 80s. And uh, she always used to say like, if, if you come across a movie like this that you're like, I don't understand who thought this was a good idea. I don't understand how it continued along this path. Like I'm talking about mostly like exploitation garbage, like the van or not. Well, can't stop. The music is, is fairly bad, but that's like all the way through to camp at this point. But there's one starring Danny Terrio and the Commodores it has Friday in the title. I think, thank God it's Friday is the title, but just like unbelievably exploitative garbage that's like not even bad enough to be interesting. And mm-hmm. she was always like, it's cocaine every single time. Like if you, if you just can't get at a why in a movie like this, <laughs> it's cocaine. Because it I guess. just, I guess, made a lot of things seem like good ideas but in this case, I mean, I'm, I'm sure cocaine was not just adjacent, but like hidden under every styrofoam rock on the set. But this appears to be trying for some kind of like Mel Brooks satire that it's not, it's just not capable of. And at the same time, it's like the wedding singer of prehistoric movies because every single thing that separates humans from the previous iteration of primates is achieved in an hour and a half. So, like, the way that the wedding singer thought everything in the 80s happened, like, in the same weekend. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was, I was wondering, I was like, Sandler evolved, I think, pretty substantially. I'm not... <laughs> Like, like uh, you know, in his early career, I might have gone for this joke. I'm, I'm not sure this is working for me, but no, I, I get, I get what you mean. Yeah, no, that that was not a Sandler clock. No, I guess that makes sense. When you've been making these cocaine jokes, I didn't know that you were referring to that. I thought in general you were just talking about Quaid's admitted problem with it in his career, and and it was just sort of like a running gag. So I don't know. Maybe we should sort of like mark which one of those are about him and which one is about the production. Um, because like John Matuzak being on a lot of cocaine does not surprise me in the least. No. Um, and I guess, yeah, it would make sense. Like 1981 is still a great time to be doing cocaine if you're a Beatle, I guess. Yeah, I don't, Uh, I mean, I actually didn't think that, I didn't think Quaid's performance was particularly good, but I also didn't think it was particularly like antically cocaine-y compared to Gorp, for instance. Um, he seemed fairly like sincere in his attempt to engage with the material, which is unfortunate. But I guess like once you're there and you're wearing a furry loincloth, you might as well pass the time trying to do a good job. 
the cocaine comes in more at the decision making like right. production and planning level i would say that there was a room full of people and a cut glass bowl full of colombian marching powder and that's how caveman was born yeah it seems like a very good explanation for why they obviously sunk some money into you know let's do a lot of like slapstick harryhausen animation of our dinosaurs which i enjoyed them doing but uh yeah it's also why like a a weirdly you know again kind of like somewhere between benny hill crassness and you know the the adorable trampiness of chaplin like a five minute attempted assault i don't know i mean and that definitely seems like a very reasonable explanation for how somebody goes through with every process of like the conception of that the writing it down the editing it the like are we sure what kind of what room are we doing this in you know Um, right quaid himself though like Actually, you know, it's funny you brought Gorp. Like, I almost wanted to say, like, maybe it was just seeing him in Gorp. But when he's explaining to Atuk gruntily, right, like what Tonda is going to do to him if he goes back. And it felt sort of like avuncular. But then, and like, well, you know, he's, that's how he, he learned from being a camp counselor. That's good. That's adult decision making. But for the rest of it, it seemed like he was doing, um, I don't know, I guess like kind of an impression of being of being a prehistoric man, like sort of in the way that a camp counselor knows, you know, like 50 words of Spanish for emergencies. Like he knows the 50 words of this, but uh, otherwise he's just kind of working on his tan. I mean, he was, he was trying, but he wasn't in it. Like, whereas I think Ringo actually seemed to genuinely like want to, he was given it his all in some scenes in a way that like he's rich enough. He didn't have to, but like, he really did seem to, to commit. Yeah, I think the effort is there, but I think that when you are creating and producing and editing and writing something like this under the influence of such a stimulant, you don't have a good ear for how long things are supposed to play or how far past funny you've gone without getting anything out of it. Like, the scenes... Each scene just plays way too long because they're like trying to communicate with each other, but the way it's written and directed, it's we're expected to believe that they don't understand their own, the language that they're supposed to use in the film. Right. Whereas the issue is like you, you have to like communicate to the audience what they're saying while but they would know what they're saying. This is like having, you know, movie Nazis speaking in English accents. Like, like I, I understand the, I understand the desire to avoid subtitles, but then just have them speak English. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, we can understand what's happening. Right. Everyone is acting like the, the physical acting is so broad that we we don't really need a scene where everyone is marveling at the very first fried egg. We don't need that to go on as long as it does. Yeah. We got it. No, and, and most of it is structured like, well, the whole overall structure is just nerds versus bullies, right? And like, it winds yeah. up just being like a, a, a camp movie. It's just like one camp is in a cave and one camp is, you know, building like a Gilligan's Island with all these things that it's inventing overnight. But then it's broken down like in terms of the beats of the plot are just bits. And it's almost like, again, I, I kind of feel like the writer, uh, I think, I think it was Carl Gottlieb. Was it 
Yes. Who also wrote both Jaws movies, or the first two Jaws movies, and The Jerk, I think. Yeah. That I did write down. And yes, he did. Yeah, and it, it almost seems like at some point, maybe he was at one of those parties and, you know, Ringo or, I don't know, Barbara Bach or somebody was like, what are you working on? He said, well, you know, I've kind of set myself the task of writing a whole movie in, set in prehistory. And so how would you do that? Well, I don't know. You know, you can't have any dynasties. You can't have politics. You don't have any technology. You don't have religion. You don't have, like, what do you have? Uh, oh, and it's a comedy. You know, like, and, and did his best. But like, yeah, they needed to cut out like 15 to like 45 seconds of every set piece. But like when they did work, like the chase scene around the giant egg, where you've got like one entire clan chasing after another and they're so clustered together, it's like, two bodies of humans like orbiting and that like was a good visual it was a good payoff but like get on with it yeah and like i understand that you feel like like here's the invention of fire i guess we should acknowledge the first sequence of 2001 a space odyssey should you though and if you're going to and i'd like to thank the late mr ebert for pointing this out why are you using this music cue when the actual music cue was in the public domain just get some musicians to play the cue for you here's um this spoke sarah throstroyd During this clip, like sort of taking note of the various ways in which it was purposefully and pointedly different from the Strauss original, it was like, it reminded me of the behind the music about Vanilla Ice where he's like, no, 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 there's that extra beat in there that makes it different (laughs) from the Queen David Bowie sample. And you're like, "Uh uh-huh, like, did you, did you check with a lawyer first and then put it in there? Because that's what it sounded like you did. Just use the original. Well, you know, it, it is kind of fitting for Ringo because this is to Alza Sprock, Zarathustra, kind of like what Octopus's Garden is to Yellow Submarine. <laughs> yeah. And it does have this like childlike goofiness to it that the original doesn't, but that is like somehow not appealing. I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't want Ringo Starr to be unhappy. And if this is something that he was like, you know, I, hey, wife, I got you this. Well, no, they met on this. And then oh, did they meet on this? Okay. Yeah. And so like it, in a weird way, this is like as a document, I think its greatest value is watching like essentially what is Ringo Starr's courtship ritual. Not like he engineered it or that there's any deliberation on his part, but like what it effectively was just by accident. And then, like, given the subject matter, it's, like, really alarming, but uh, it's And then weird. he throws her in a pile of shit. Yeah. Like, and, and credits. Okay. And, yeah, he's, like, he rejects her for rejecting him and then goes to his cute nerdette who was <laughs> with him all the time. She's actually pretty good in this Shelley Long. I mean, for what it is. She yeah she she's got to react to a lo- not a lot 
and she manages to do it without going all goofy clown face or like Commedia dell'arte or whatever on it but like she's she's giving a lot of herself and i was actually thinking about that i was like because there is there is a bit on a couple of the of her deliveries of the uh their their you know quasi language where it did kind of have the the distancing from the the material that like a a diane chambers like snob might have like you know this isn't like i just learned this language for the peace corps you know i'm here to help these people but i'm gonna go home at the end of this and like it's it's hard like i've you know all my experience of shelly long for the longest time was like probably 200 hours of just reruns of like the first five seasons of cheers and it's it's so hard for me i can't strip that out that coding out and like experience what she's doing you know completely like pristine and 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 uncolored and i would love well, to i'd like to know how well she's expecting her to crack and make a like fairy queen reference or something right. yeah. yeah no there are definitely some <laughs> like chambers isms in there but she's good like this cast is not it's not nobody it's like you have a bunch of people that you're like oh it's you like isn't her she's like the caretaker for this older guy who's not sighted isn't that the guy from uh a funny thing happened on the way to the forum like i completely recognize the guy i think he was in a uh, star trek original series yep too but like i can't i was the same thing i think he might have been a mel brooks vet too which <laughs> at least they got one mel brooksy thing and they got the twos i mean the yeah. twos was was not shabby and if you needed somebody who was going to be just a complete animal, an Oakland Raider who did a lot of drugs, like you're not going to get more method than that. No. Uh, and he, but he's still, I mean, he's the twos, right? He's got real charisma. I mean, given what he's asked to do, he does it. Like it's, it's very hard to assess the performances here, but I think everybody really did try. Uh, it, it must have been evident fairly early on like before shooting even started that this was going to be a bomb mm-hmm. but everybody could just sort of played you know played it out what else can you do yeah they sprinted to first yeah occasionally a throw goes a little wide and you get like a good good couple of bits in the invention of the egg you're like yeah all right i can see that you yeah. guys are trying but i Cut mean 45 seconds out <laughs> For every Curtis Granderson who sprints to first, there's also a Pete Rose who sprints to first every time. And uh, this is more, this is more Rose than Grandy, I gotta say. It's too bad. I like the idea. I mean, I, I, I would like somebody to come back and, and, I don't know, they should just get like, you know, sketch comedians to come back and, and just redo some of these bits and then like have somebody else find like a completely anodyne you know storyline to wrap it around i'm sure families would be happy to take their children to watch cave people run away from you know prehistoric animals that were long dead before they were cave people but who cares i'll I'll take a stupid innocent movie like that that's fine or i don't know don't (laughs) (laughs) like that this this tells us absolutely nothing about anything is the thing like there was no i did derive some entertainment from trying to f- like look at the cuts between like well here's the dinosaur and then here's them in the same frame as the dinosaur and like ooh, this 
this is this is not convincing but also in scenes like the first cooked egg that it's like well what are they you know what is props using to make that and when everyone's like hiking home with swaths of egg white slung over their shoulders like what is that made of see that's a good bit (laughs) they they rolled up some egg and threw it over their shoulder like a towel yeah but like a flash cut of that is fine they were high like we saw the hike in real time i don't i don't need it that's true so this is a one and a half from me yeah as a movie it's about a two i when I say I could see a remake of it, I, I mean, like, not of this plot, like, really any of it, but just sort of, like, that milieu, which is where you can you can do slapstick at people's expense and it stays safely sort of unreal. Like, oh, it's not as horrifying that this is happening to people because, you know, this is, like, millions of years ago. Who cares? I don't know. Right. Like, well, and the average lifespan was 25 anyway. But yeah. while you were talking about this just now what occurred to me is what might be interesting is not remaking it but reimagining it as a movie within a movie about making this movie so like caveman the mockumentary and then we get the satire failed and otherwise and we get some of the processy shit that's like some fucking and you know Tish School of the Arts, 19-year-old, glumly spray-painting a mile and a half of um, (laughs) that egg carton foam stuff, like yellow, and then they're like, no, 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 bro, that has to be the white one, and he's like, oh my god, I hate everything, why did I leave Sheboygan? I would watch the hell out of that. You could do it like documentary now, it's just revisiting like terrible movie properties, but you only have to do, you know, 30 minutes of it, or an hour of it, and then... You know, with commercials. And- I would watch that. I'm a little mad that I can't watch that. Okay, that's the movie rating, which leaves us Quaid Qua Quaid. Uh, we have to measure the Quaidiosity of this film using the same base 10 system. How Quaidy was this for you, Sarah? I mean, it, despite a couple of uh, fake outs where it's like, well, t- like, Jesus, they killed him off already. Fuck, they killed him off again. Yeah. <laughs> Spoiler, no, I mean, spoiler, who cares? None of you is ever going to watch this. I hope and pray. Please let us spare you. He was in a lot of it. He was trying very hard. Um, It is difficult, obviously, to clip something that conveys (laughs) his performance. But I did, um, Jeb, you referred to the scene where he's, you know, drawing in the dust to explain to caveman Ringo what's going to happen if he tries to take Barbara Bach away from the twos here is what ensues in clip three Lana I took Alunda Lana yeah Lana Alunda Tonda Mm. Tonda Alunda Lana I took Tonda history's first bronx cheer ladies and gentlemen it's just very texan delivery you can hear a hint of frustration like the first time he uses whatever that verb is it's clear that he's mispronounced it for like the 14th take in a row and he's like just keep rolling fuck this (laughs) which can't blame him 
guess he's fine. He looks good half naked. Not everybody yeah. within the sound of my voice is the demo for that, but I, like that's not enough, mind you. Um, just on a purely aesthetic level, I'm not getting anything out of it for me, but as an intellectual, I'm there. I get it. Yeah. I mean, it's hard not to get because, you know, this movie is an hour and a half, but it, it feels like a month. Um, yeah, I don't... He's not bad, but he's not all that quady either. Like, he is still, at this point, the sidekick, which is not peak Quaid. He's not really busting out that um, wolfish jackass thing. Like, he's, he's fine, but it's just not very quady. But it's very hard to assess any of our regular metrics using, you know, about this movie that doesn't have dialogue in English. And occasionally, like, a comedic bit is interrupted by someone being dive-bombed by a pterodactyl. Like, there's... It's hard. Do we even use numbers for this? I don't know. But if I did have to use numbers, like, he looks good, he's trying hard, it's, it's not all that quady. Three. This felt like the least Quaid so far. I think a big thing is that what makes, like, Pete Quaid work is that it's knowing. It's always a little knowing. And mm-hmm. this is set in a world where nobody knows anything. <laughs> right. So, I mean, outside of the beefcake, which, you know, you can get like on a Google image search from this movie, uh, I don't think there's really any reason if you were a Quaid enthusiast to see it. I mean, I think like, I think it would be a natural one if it weren't for the fact that he's not really wearing a lot. And then that kind of, you know, and then maybe that just that one scene with the twang, um, like the least Quaid would, I think would be him like a zero, you know, it'd be like him in a body cast. One would be like if he's um, if he had Kevin Costner's role in the Big Chill, uh-huh. you yeah. know. Um, so this is a two. This is like almost as low as you can go because there can't be any knowing awareness, and you know, there's no. He doesn't seduce anything. Uh, he doesn't really get to be badass. He doesn't really get to uh, to tease or twinkle. And uh, yeah, I mean, he's just uh, you're pretty much going in this movie just for the image. And like I said, Google. I mean, he like he's literally a knuckle dragger for the first quarter of the film, and then after that, he's just like running around grunting when he's not almost drowning in a canyon. I think that part was one of the only parts that wasn't intended to be funny, and his delivery of that strangled gargle as he was disappearing into some quote unquote rapids was the funniest yeah. thing in the in the movie. I thought so. Yeah. It's it's not it's not on brand. All right, well let's uh leave this in the past then, shall we? <laughs> and and move on with our lives. Do you have any uh other valedictory thoughts on one million and a half years BC? Just, you know, the only member of the cast who is doing this between their Super Bowl win uh with the Oakland Raiders in Super Bowl eleven and their Super Bowl win with the Los Angeles Raiders in Super Bowl fifteen was John Matuzak. Uh, You can't say that about any other member of the cast. Can you say that about anyone else in anything? Or wasn't there someone named Lyle who basically was the Matuzak of the latter 80s? 
Yeah, uh, Lyle Alzado won a title with them, but I don't know if it w- he didn't win two. I don't think, and he was only in like MacGyver and like an Ernest movie and stuff like that. On a scale of one to eighties NFL knowledge, ten. Next time on Quaid and Full, Quaid chooses fucking over singing, amongst us, etc. In the night, the lights went out in Georgia. In the meantime, check out our show notes and follow the podcast on Twitter at Quaid in Full Pod. If you're wondering when your favorite Quaid joint is getting covered, or you want to advertise on a specific film or TV show's episode, DMs are open. Quaid in Full is hosted by Sarah D. Bunting, that's me, and Jeb Lund, and edited by Jeb Lund. If you don't subscribe yet, grab a giant femur and head to the obelisk where you get your podcasts and rate and review Quaid in Full so other people can find it. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.